Hey y'all, it's AJ here from Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. We don't normally get starstruck on this podcast, but we came quite close this time. In this episode, on the eve of the Women's Soccer World Cup, we host Desiree Ellis, coach of our women's national team, Banyana Banyana. A former captain of Banyana, as a coach, she led them to their first ever Women's World Cup appearance in 2019 and their maiden Women's Africa Cup of Nations title in 2022 and won the Kasafa Cup three times. She was Africa's Women's Coach of the Year in 2018 and awarded the National Order of Ikamanga by the South African government. In what is part one of a two-part series with Dez, Bruce talks to her about her formative years in football leading up to playing for the national team and the struggles of having to persevere through humbling circumstances before reaching a dream of playing for Banyana. It really is a tale of guts before glory and she pulls no punches with the deeds. If you're enjoying our work, give us a like and a share on your socials and find us on all the top podcast apps like Podbean, Google Podcasts and Apple and search for the Call Up Podcast where faith meets sport and life. The Call Up Podcast where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. Well, I'm absolutely delighted today to have with me somebody who can only be described as a pioneer and a groundbreaker uh, in South African sports. She's a pioneer and a groundbreaker as a player, a pioneer and a groundbreaker as a coach. She's paved the way for a generation of, of, of female athletes in this country, I believe in multiple sports, and she won't accept this title. But given all the difficulties and challenges South Africa are facing right now, and what is a, a, a dark time um, in the country's history, I'm going to be bold enough to say that this woman is a, a national hero. She provides inspiration and hope in a very, very difficult time, and I know that's going to come out as we journey with her today and allow her to share her story. So, Banyana Banyana coach, Desri Ellis, off to the World Cup very, very soon. Welcome to the Call Up podcast. Uh, Bruce, I'm just blessed to be here and uh, thank you for having me today. Well, it is a delight and not only that, we're not really here to promote your book, but we're going to anyway. You just brought a book out, it's called Magic, uh, Desri Ellis from Salt River to the 2023 World Cup and your story is so full of of inspiration and hope. We're actually going to do this in two parts Um, and I want us to go right back to the 1960s and the 1970s growing up um, in Salt River. Just, Just paint the picture for us of life growing up in that community in that time. Look, I actually didn't live in Salt River. Back in the day, we lived in Heidefeld, um, and we used to trek every day um, because we went to school in Salt River, so Monday to Friday. Um, my parents would uh, take us in the morning, drop us off at my grandmother's place, and then go off to work, and we would spend Monday to Friday during my primary school years, my high school years. That was the trek. Um, eventually, we moved to Hanover Park, and from there, the same trek to Salt River every single day. Um, my mother would pack in food for us, you know, because we were quite a few a few kids. Um, later on, we became five kids, and 
My mother would pack in food, and in the afternoon when we got home, the food was there um, for us to eat. And my grandmother would take care of us, not just us, but my cousins as well. And my cousins were mostly boys. Um, and in the afternoon when we got home from school, the boys were already waiting outside to play. So that's the question I wanted to ask you. Now, how does a, a working class girl of colour in the apartheid era end up ditching the ballet shoes? <laughs> <laughs> right to you know break the gender stereotypes at the time and 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 discover this passion for football yeah you're right i was i did ballet i was actually at the un group i was on blocks by the way and not many people know that um we had a teacher at uh, the primary school and he taught us ballet and when he left um we stopped obviously because there's no one to take it further but i always loved the game of football from a very young age and i used to get into trouble quite often because the school that i went to had a girls playground and a boys playground and i used to jump over the fence and play with the boys and get into <laughs> trouble um because the girls didn't play football and but, but because i played netball for the school i regularly got out of detention but i couldn't wait for the afternoon because i knew there was another game happening you know, back in Griff Street and Westminster Road in Salt River, boys were waiting for me to play. And normally you, you have to do your homework, but I would always say, I can do it tonight. But this game is not going to wait for me. Yeah, and so you're playing on the streets. You're jumping over the... Uh, you're breaking the gender barriers by jumping over the fence at school as, <laughs> as well. Um, you know, how, how were your parents about this, you know? My, my parents were quite okay. Um, the only problem was that I regularly needed school shoes. Um, so my father would, you know, while he's driving around, um, he was a typewriter uh, technician at the time. Um, and while he was driving around, he would pop in and he would literally take my shoes off my feet. <laughs> and I would play bare feet. <laughs> he would take it off because he would he would inspect the shoes. Um, because, uh, you know, my parents were working class. Uh, we were not well off. Yeah. But we were taken care of, and one month I would get a pair of shoes, the next month my sister, the next month the other sister, and so on and so on. But those <laughs> shoes are supposed to last the school year, right? And if you're playing football <laughs> on the street in them, they're not going to last. Definitely not. Um, but I just carried on playing. And then I actually got a pair of soccer boots from someone which was miles too big, but that ended up being my, my, my shoes on the street. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I can I can picture the scene now. And of course, the days of playing on the street, you know, they're, 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 we're seeing that a lot less now, aren't we? You know, I think you and I grew up in an era where, where it's a lot more common for children to play out on, on, on the streets. So yeah, you started out with street football, but that's not, not where the story ends. No, 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 not at all. You know, I think nowadays, um, it's a lot less safer. Yeah. Um, you know, parents have to take care of the kids. Also, there's so many other things that they can do, um, you know, doing PlayStation and all of that stuff and, and having other interests, of course. Um, but um, didn't stop there. Um, we used to challenge each other, you know, the different streets and we used to go to pep stores and buy these T-shirts and write on there whatever we needed to write on there. And didn't only play football, we played the other games that boys played as well, you know, cricket, um, rugby. That was a bit rough for me, but, you know, cricket, etc. Um, but I always, always loved the game of football. You know, when God put something in you, yeah. you've got to use that talent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and God puts, you know, it's not. it wasn't by accident that you ended up you know, ditching the ballet shoes <laughs> no, for, no. For, for the streets to, <laughs> yeah, no. to, to play football because God had wired you that way. Yeah, not at all. I think each of us have a special talent that God mm. has given us and we need to find what that special talent is. 
you know, because God gives us that for a reason. We're not just here to be, but we're here to change lives. And mm. through what we do, we change lives. Absolutely. You know, and uh, sport is a, a football or a team sport is a type of sport where you we touch many people, where you interact with many people, and as as individuals, we. We, we touch each other's lives by the stories we tell. Yeah, mm. and, and there's no doubt that you, mm. you're someone who's, yeah. you know, used your platform and used your talent not just to, to, to build your own life, but actually uh, to share something of the goodness of God and the hope of Jesus uh, with others simply by the journey you've, you've, you've gone on. But you don't remain on the streets playing. You eventually uh, get involved with organised football uh, at LFA level, um, tell us a little bit about the formation of of it's Athlone Celtic, isn't That's it? That's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you're 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 about fifteen at the time, and the opportunities to play football for for girls and women of of colour at that time are incredibly limited. So so tell us a little bit about that story um, and some of the challenges you faced. Um, you know, back in the day, um, you're playing with the boys and you dream of playing for a girls team, but we don't know of any around. And I'm playing and uh, these two gentlemen approached me to want to come and play for the girls team. And I'm quite, like, girls, I don't know this girls playing football, you know, that was my reaction back then. And um, I joined the team. They had formed already the beginning of the year. Um, found out a little about the history afterwards that, you know, they decided, you know, like they say, go the other side. Um, because they thought there were more opportunities, um, you know, and I joined the team. And um, when I joined the team, um, I regularly, <laughs> and my father was with, and I regularly had to pull down my shorts because people didn't believe I was a girl. Um, they said girls don't play football like that. Yeah. In actual fact, when I was scouted, the two guys that came, they thought I was a boy. Um, they actually said, that tiny boy, because was tiny, flat-chested, short hair, <laughs> Um, I generally looked like a boy, and that's what people assumed because I was playing. And they said, that boy is quite good, but he's, he's very tiny, you know. And then someone said, but it's not a boy, it's a girl. And they went, wow, we need to get, you know, hold of this girl. And I joined the team, and I was regularly told that, you know, I wanted to be a boy. But all I wanted to do was to do something that I love. And I think because I had the support of my parents, I think that was important for me. That mm. I had that support and and that mentorship and that motivation behind me, and my father was my biggest critic, but he was also my biggest support, and I think that helped me. I think it is, and I think I think you know when there's so many social conventions at the time that stereotype and say you know this is for boys, this is for girls, you know it can be very very challenging to to you know pursue that passion. So the support of parents is obviously very very important but you begin to progress in the game um i think you end up playing provincial level as well but but your book's actually entitled magic so i've got to ask you how on earth did you get that nickname when i when i first made the provincial team i was 15 years old and i remember coming from school and and checking my bag a hundred times to make sure that I had everything in my bag. And when my dad came uh, from work, we off to Old Mutual because that's where the tournament was. And halfway, I checked my bag again and my boots are not in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad's very angry and he turns around and he said, we don't play today, you know, but I get there in time for the warm-up and I, and I play. And, and during that tournament, uh, we play against a team called Southern Transvaal back in the day. Um, this was nine, around 1978. And we play against a, a team called Southern Transvaal. And 
I remember afterwards, the, 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 the one player that I remember, Michelle Vaughn, she started calling me magic. Um, she said whenever I touched the ball, they couldn't touch me. Um, she actually used the word, I humiliated the whole team. But I was just enjoying something that, you know, uh, I love doing and getting the opportunity now to really play. Um, my father got a lot of job offers, obviously, because of that. But uh, I stayed, we stayed in Cape Town and um, I just continued with my journey, um, you know, along the way. And then every provincial tournament, people started calling me by this nickname, Magic. And uh, when I was talking to my manager and I, uh, before we did the book and we were talking about that and he said, hmm. Sounds like a name for a book, you know. Mm. Um, and at first I was very reluctant because um, many had asked me to write a book. But I believe each and every one of us has, have a story to tell. And I think the story that we tell um, inspires others by who we are and what we do. Mm. And mine is exactly that. It's just a story of hope. Mm. Y- you know, we're already picking up on the fact that you've, you've broken some gender barriers here. You've broken some, some racial barriers here and a very difficult time in South Africa's history. But it's also true, we've not touched upon this yet, but there are actually financial barriers. You know, the game's amateur. You have to raise the funds yourself. You've got to go to work. You're playing at the highest level mm-hmm. of, of women's football, but you've you, you still got to work. Tell us about some of your work experiences <laughs> in that time, maybe the good and the bad. I actually worked at OK Bazaars. Um, you know, in the cash office, you know, the cashers come in and they bring their bags that's obviously, um, you know, uh, got a lock on and we have to check the money and then the money goes away, etc. So I worked in the cash office, but in that time I also played football. Yeah. And sometimes I would miss a game because I worked it's in retail. A game would be on a Saturday and I'd be off on a Sunday. And I couldn't always change, you know, swap with someone. I would then miss a game and the team would, would play without me. Um, you know, back in the day, that that's how it is. And I think for some, it's still like that nowadays mm. where you have to work eight to five and yeah. then go to training. And it just shows that we have the love of the game at heart and you just want to go out there and play, yeah. you know, and that carried on for a, for, a, for a very long time. And sometimes even on a Friday night, I would work till nine o'clock because the store was open till nine and my dad would be waiting outside with a car to, you know, to take us home. He made sure always that he picked us up. And even while I was playing, he would go and he would, pick us up and stay for the duration of the game and and so on um you know and my sisters eventually also was forced to play because the club was about to fold and my mom and dad took the club over and the club was about to fold and all of them were forced to play and when it came for interprovincial tournaments there were many players they didn't have so my mother would start sewing and making these leather purses and leather jackets you know and selling them so that the players in the team could also travel uh, and go with the team and then because that we've helped everyone my father would then get a couple of guys together and jump in his car and then drive down and you know come and watch us play so what i'm i'm hearing is those barriers are broken for a lot of reasons one is just the driving as you've already identified god-given passion and talent you are not going to stop me from playing football because i was made to do this (laughs) i was created to do this (laughs) but also the support of family and community i think that 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 that's clearly really significant in your story and you know yet more evidence that our achievements are not just based on on ourselves we we need others we need community around us to to support that um 
But I know that towards the end of the 1980s, things are, are difficult in South Africa. You know, we've 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 got the state of emergency. I think Ashley Creel had just mm-hmm. died in Bonteville and uh, you're not living far away from there. You know, school is disrupted, but so is football. Getting around is um, difficult. Um, just tell us a little bit about that period and some of the challenges you faced in terms of just being able to play. Uh, it was really scary for all of us. Um, we knew the situation in the country, and you know, um, you know, leaders out there that stood up, um, you know, that created opportunities for us later. Um, they were not treated well, and it was heartbreaking and scary. Um, and my parents really tried to take care of us during that time, and sometimes we would play matches, and sometimes we would not because of the situation. Um, because you know you always want to play um, you're always looking for a way to play but it, I think it was the most scariest moments um, that I've ever faced um, you know we didn't know what was going to happen in the country um, but God always prevails you mm. know God always prevails and makes a way um, you know and uh, we sympathize with the families obviously um, because uh, from where we come and the way we grew up, um, that was not the norm, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, we were not living in a normal society at no. the time, you know. And uh, thankfully and gratefully, things have changed um, to give us all an opportunity, not just as um, sports people, but as people, you know, mm-hmm. entertainers, um, everybody else. You're not allowed to go where you want to go. You're allowed to do what you want to do, you know. So I remember traveling to Natal, um, you know, and we were early for a tournament and we went to this caravan park and uh, we wanted to check in. And obviously we had, you know, white people, people of color, etc., all in the group. And the manager went and she booked. And when we drove in and they saw it was a, a mixed group, they all of a sudden said that we couldn't stay there. Yeah. You know, so we had a lot of difficult times. But because we loved the game so much, we persevered. Mm. You know, I always say God gives us a talent. We must use it as much as we can until we can't use it anymore. Mm. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Difficult times, but uh, and maybe worth remembering that in the light of where we are maybe now as a country, as, as difficult and as painful as some things might be right now, we're not where we were then. And the fact that we've got a multiracial female team going to a FIFA World Cup is testament to the opportunities your generation and the generation before you have have enabled and we recognize that were a lot of sacrifices that Mm -hmm. that that came with that but with the transition to democracy and the end of apartheid doors open uh, south africa um is reincorporated into the the global sports family and that means finally in your 30s i think you get the opportunity to at last represent your country just 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 give us some idea of you know the feelings emotions that 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 came with that at the time and maybe some of your memories from that time so i was working at uh, a meat market in lansdowne um in the storeroom um mixing all the spices for the polonies and whatever else they make. And then our former late president, Nelson Mandela, gets released and we all get the opportunity now to go try it for the national team. And I go to the supervisor and I say, listen, I've got this opportunity. And I mean, this is something that I've been dreaming of for a very long time, obviously, you know, um, not knowing that it was going to happen or when it was going to happen. And this very young age of 30, 
I go and I we said you decide what you want to do and I think okay if I go and I come back I'll be in time for for work for Monday etc etc and I go to the front desk front of the of the butcher what do you need and I make sure that there's enough and I go and back in the day we traveled in a minibus so we get to Johannesburg um, you know Terry Payne's the first coach and I've never run so much, by the way. <laughs> and Terry Payne's a World Cup winner, 1966 with England. Yeah. He's the first coach and we start training and, you know, um, fantastic team. I make the team as the vice captain um, and I score hat-trick on debut and we win 14-0. We play against Iswatini, by the way. Um, a couple of days ago was the 30th anniversary. Congratulations. Because um, uh, our first game was the 30th of May, 1993 against wow. Swaziland. And um, on the way back, we get a puncture and I get to work a day late. And uh, as I get to work, I get fired because in their eyes, I absconded. And the late Kitty Choma was involved in women's football, flies to Cape Town, come see the bosses. <laughs> they want to know nothing. So now I'm out of work for three years. Um, wow. You know, but uh, I won't say I didn't care. I mean, I was living my dream and, you know, um, um, odd jobs here and there. Um, I know when you when you're selling those door-to-door sales, I was one of them, you know, working. So tell us about Nordog <laughs> selling toys in Nordog door-to-door. In, in Nordog, and you know, the houses are so far apart. So by the time <laughs> you're done for the day, you know, you've walked so many miles or so many kilometers. And I regularly had to make sure that I had enough money on me because if I didn't sell anything, mm. there's no way of me getting home. So my fr- that that happened, and then I worked at a at a at a, at a shop, um, a bakery sort of food shop where you sell food, you weigh the food and you put it in a little container and you sell it. I worked at, at that place as, as, as well, you know, in the, in the time. And then, um, you know, Mark Leeson came to me and he said to me, um, you know, he's the editor of Kickoff, he gets all these fan mails. You know, for example, um, you know, where does Benny McCarthy play? Does you have the address? And he said he didn't want to get someone like Kelly Girl, but he knew that I would know where to get hold of that. And then, you know, I would type all these letters and leave it somewhere for him to sign. And he actually said to me, you know, you don't have to work all day. And I'm like, mm, I've been out of work for three years, you know. So I got five and a letter, by the way. And at five o'clock when the, when, when the company closed, I went to subscription. Because I then packed the gifts for the subscription department because that was extra cash. And then I would run to Cape Town Station, try to catch the last taxi because the last taxi would leave at 7 o'clock. Ta- catch the last taxi. And then the taxi goes as far as an overbook terminus. And then the bus is gone. Then I used to run down. And when I get home, my mom would ask, who dropped you? Because it's quite dangerous, you know, for a girl running down mm, that time yeah. of the evening. And all I would say, oh, the bus just went past now. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I can't get over this. Just the, you, you know, what's driving you in all of this is just this desire to play, isn't it? You know, you're, you're doing these jobs, sometimes jobs you don't want to do. I mean, the kickoff job sounds like a really good one, but you're doing stuff you're not passionate about in order to finance what you're really passionate about. And, uh, you know, I think anybody listening to this, you know, especially if you're, you're, you're now a professional sports person. Um, and you're paid to do what you do, you need to hear that actually your passion for the sport and your recognition that God had given you this talent, yeah, was the thing that, that, that consistently drove you. I know that you win the inaugural Kasafa Cup 
um, as a player, uh, but you also end up losing very painfully um, the first women's AFCON final. Is that right? Is that 2000 around that time? Actually, um, the first sort of AFCON was on a home and away basis, yeah. 1995. Yeah. Um, where we play Nigeria in the last round, and we really thought we had a chance, and they. <laughs> they hammered us uh, yeah. 4-1 away and 7-1 at home e, but, ouch. but they had a very good team yeah. they really and had a very good team and we thought we were that good but yeah. they had a good side even yeah. though our side was good as well and then 1998 was the first tournament Okay, that was held in Nigeria um, and unfortunately one of the opponents in our, in our group withdrew so we only had three um, and it became so difficult. We lost to Cameroon, we lost to Ghana, and obviously we were out of the tournament. And the first one in South Africa was in 2000. Um, that was the first one. And um, we got to the final, and uh, then we had a crowd disturbance after they, sc- they scored their second goal with mm. the player lying in offside position. And our fans didn't throw stones, they threw bricks. Oh, no. <laughs> and we tried to calm them down, and eventually the game was awarded to, to Nigeria. And they were winning at the time. And they were winning at the time 2-0, yeah. Yeah. And we'll maybe come back to that because Nigeria are the nemesis, aren't they? (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, they've always had a a strong women's game, haven't they? Um, But... You know, it's it's going to be a long time in your story. Yeah. And we'll come to that in part two when we track your coaching story. Um, and maybe that'll help people understand just how credible it was when you finally lifted that AFCON trophy in 2022. But we're going to leave that for, for part two. So your career inevitably comes to an end as it does for, for everyone. You know, age catches up with all of us. So as you look back over your life and over your playing career, where do you see God's hand at work? I think throughout my career, you know, because girls, it's the norm not for girls to play football. But God opens that door for me to play football. And I think throughout that, his hand is all over because of the opportunities that come. And um, getting that opportunity to play for the national team because God looks what's in our heart and... uh, I've always dreamt of playing for the mm. national team and then that happens and people say but it happened very late it happened in God's time not mine you know um, because if God wanted things to change it would have changed before um, during my playing days in 1995 when we lost to Nigeria um, you know we lost going to the World Cup and I said at the time I was going to retire and some of the players said no you can't retire you know and and when it's your time you know because God puts it in your heart and it was in my time and I continued playing and uh, when I got dropped from the national team I was a bit angry um, but when I looked at the bigger picture it was time Yeah, you know it was time and as I said I'd already done part of my coaching badge and the club that I was at um, actually myself and Shalene Boyson a very good friend of mine became the co-coaches and um, but she was more still coaching than what I was because I was practically at the last stages of my of my career, um, you know, and uh, after that, uh, you know, I just took over. It was a natural thing, mm. you know, it was a natural thing where you're already a coach on the field and you don't realize yeah. that you're a coach on the field yeah. when you're busy with, with, with players. And from then on, you know, I put everything in, into that, but giving up the game, yes. um, you know, it was tough because you always think you can add more. 
you know, we had a very young team and I was one of the most senior players. And the only reason I kept playing was to bring them up to make sure that when I step out that they were ready. But then I started making excuses for not going to training. <laughs> and um, it was more comfortable lying in bed. Um, and when I started making excuses, I knew it was time to give up. Yeah. Um, I didn't have the heart anymore to be able to play. Um, and it was a difficult decision, but at the end I had to make that decision for my own sanity, for my own well-being, mm. because I couldn't keep up with the young players anymore. Yeah. And that was one of the signs. The other sign was that I used to look forward to training every day, but now I was looking for an excuse not to go to training, which mm. meant that I didn't love the game mm. or to play at that time. And, you know, I spoke to my, my mother who was still alive at the time and, um, and um, she said, you must do what you feel is right. You mm. know, we must do because uh, you are all model in the community also and young girls look up to you. Yeah. And then that's when I decided, you know, that is it for me. So what would 60-year-old Desrielis <laughs> say to 15-year-old Desrielis? I would say to that young Desrielis that, you know, <sighs> do whatever you love doing and pursue it with everything that you have because it's a God-given talent that you have and each and every one of us has got a God-given talent and it might be different. Some might be good at cooking and that is a talent um, and pursue that with all that you have because that is going to create opportunities for you but also for your family and, and make the lives of those around you better because mm -hmm. of what you are doing because like I said before, we're not put on this earth just to be. We're put on this earth to make a difference. And mm. what a way to make a difference in your family life. Yeah, I, I, I'm reminded right now of that mm -hmm. very famous Eric Little quote, the, the great sprinter from yeah. the 1920s. Yeah. Now, neither of us were alive. <laughs> uh, but Eric Little says, you know, I believe that God made me for a purpose but I also believe that he made me fast. <laughs> and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of sports people can connect with that. You know, uh, but it's discovering the purpose behind the time. There we go. You feel alive when you are busy doing something that you love because you know that God has put it there. Mm. Um, and God wants us to use that talent to the best that we have, mm. you know, because he's given us something that we can change other people's lives with. Because ultimately, we're in the game to change lives more than playing the game. Playing the game is part of it. The other part is changing the lives. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we are blessed to be a blessing. Of course. We're not, we're not supposed to keep the blessing to ourselves. I That's what God said to yes. Abraham when he called him. And he's been saying it to his children ever since, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it comes over loud and clear that you're somebody who's always wanted to use your God-given talent as a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. Des, it's been great to have this conversation. You really have been and are a pioneer of the women's game. In fact, it, it transcends that. You you are a, a pioneer in South African sport. And I'm really looking forward in the next episode of chatting to you about your coaching journey. Thank you, Des. Uh, thanks for having me. The Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. The Power of His Dream brings you here. LIA Productions.